Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, paw and order. Martha brings the case against her boyfriend, Chase. She says Chase is set on taking their cats outside on leashes, but she thinks they should stay indoors. Chase says the cats have expressed interest in the outdoors and would benefit from a safe and supervised adventure. Who's right, who's wrong, only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents the obscure cultural reference. Throw a stick and the servile dog wheezes and pants and stumbles to bring it to you. Do the same before a cat and he will eye you with coolly polite and somewhat bored amusement. And just as inferior people prefer the inferior animal which scampers excitedly because someone else wants something, so do superior people respect the superior animal, which lives its own life and knows that the puerile stick-throwings of alien bipeds are none of its business and beneath its notice. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, please swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that, as a cat owner, his brain is infected with a dangerous virus that leads him to take unreasonable risks, like a mouse that doesn't care about cats eating it? I do. I do. Very well. Judge Hodgman? Martha and Chase, you may be seated. Jesse, I thought we were going to keep my toxoplasmosis out of this. (laughs) Your toxoplasmosis is central to your ability to decide this case. I'm not even sure you shouldn't have recused yourself because of your almost certain toxoplasmosis. I do not deserve discrimination as a toxoplasmotic American. That's exactly the kind of immoderate thing that a person infected with toxoplasmosis, which is a thing that's inside of cats' uh, leavings that infects the brains of mices and makes them easier to catch and eat, Uh, And also infects the brains of human beings to unknowable effect. Uh, Sorry, I lost track of that sentence. Yeah, I know. It causes (laughs) us to to speak in run-on sentences that go nowhere and to start podcasts. Semicolon. (laughs) Martha and Chase. For an immediate summary judgment in one of your toxoplasmotic adult brain's favors, can you name the person... I was quoting, I confess I don't know where this appeared, this, that sentence, but it is a, a person who said it. Who is the person who said it? This is an easy one for you guys because you don't even have to name the piece of culture, just the person who said it. Now, Chase, you have been brought into this courtroom accused of cat abuse, so you have the right to guess first or make Martha guess first, thus gain information by her guess. That could be an advantage to you. It, it would be. I will make her guess first. Yeah, advantage Martha. Advantage Martha would be you guess first. Yeah, uh, that's true. Go ahead. Go okay. ahead then. I will, I will guess. I will give you the advantage, Martha. Was it Douglas Adams? Martha, the guess is Douglas Adams. Who do you think it is? Oh, I... And I'll I... give you a hint. It's okay. a who. It's a person. It's a who? <laughs> yeah, it's a person. <laughs> It's a who. Um, it's not, for example, that that computer that plays Jeopardy. Right. Oh, no. Watson. 
Of course, a guy who knows the name of the computer that yeah. plays Jeopardy <laughs> has to interject the name of the computer that plays Jeopardy. <laughs> Boop. Sorry. Yeah. That's your own Alan Turing test, Jesse. <laughs> for know-it-all dudes. Um, I'm just gonna take a wild guess and say Winston Churchill. I don't know why. Oh. Left oh field. Oh my gosh. I think that's a pretty good guess, given that it's a quotation. Mm-hmm. He was famous for saying things. Yeah, that, that's my <laughs> reasoning. <laughs> That other people then quoted. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would say not just saying things, but also uh, for other people noting the things that he had said. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, and he wrote a lot of things down, which people then read aloud. True. But in this case, all guesses are wrong. Oh. The answer is, and I was going to do a whole, I had a whole thing planned, you guys, that was going to be so weird. And probably you might have guessed it. And then I, I truly just did the laziest thing. I always try to avoid this. I just typed in quotes about cats. <laughs> <laughs> Went to ye old Goodreads quotes page and discovered this quote, which, by the way, when you learn who it is, you, it will not surprise you uh, to learn that the quote is actually much longer than what I than what I quoted. The quote goes on and on and on to a completely unsatisfying and evasive ending. And that quote is by H.P. Lovecraft, the famous author of horror and speculative fiction. I think that's why I said alien bipeds. Mm -hmm. That would have been the only clue. But there's another way you could have figured this out. And I'll tell you why. Because H.P. Lovecraft in here talks about how Superior people like cats and inferior humans <laughs> like dogs. And you're like, which which writer of speculative and horror fiction is a notorious racist? Oh, that's right. H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> oh, yeah. You could have you come around to it that way. But no. All guesses are wrong. And so, uh, and so we move on to the case here. You know, I'll give you one more shot. Can either of you name what H.P. stands for? Oh. It's not Hewlett Packard. <laughs> <laughs> That's your guess? Yeah, that's my sure. Yeah, that's my guess. No, no, I'm telling you that's your guess. All right, that's my one guess. I, I don't have any Martha? Others. I should know because I have nerded out on H.P. Lovecraft before, right. but I can't you think should. of it. You I should. should. You, know, you know what it stands for? No. Harry Potter. <laughs> is, it, is that true? Yeah, that's true. Wow. Whoa. No, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> can, can we go back and just say it's true? No. Well, no. I think it's Howard Phillips. I don't want to look it up. My understanding is that uh, he doesn't actually, sort of like Harry S. Truman, the S was just S. The first two letters in his name are just HP, and he's named after the sauce. Right. His actual middle name is White Power. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Martha and Chase, you guys are having a fight over a cat. Martha, you bring the case against Chase. What is Chase doing or planning to do that you cannot abide such Um, that you require my intervention. It's actually two cats that he has decided he wants to take on adventures outside Mm -hmm. um, on leashes. But I maintain that they have a perfectly nice life in our apartment and we have a large patio space for them that is actually pretty luxurious for a cat that they don't need the added dangers of being outside. It has been optimized for cats? Oh, yeah. More so than probably is reasonable. How so? Uh, We have 
two cat trees for them. They have multiple things to climb, to sit on, tons of toys. All out on the patio. Yeah, well, we have one cat tree on the patio, one is inside, but we keep the doors open most of the time, so they run in, in and out. Where do you live? Uh, Los Gatos, California. Oh, okay. You can probably leave an upholstered cat tree outside for a long time without worry right. of rain. I yeah. mean, the good news is that you don't live in Los Perros, California. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> all right. End of podcast. Well done, guys. That's all. That's all we needed. Thank you. I don't care who wins. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for catching that, Jesse. I can't believe I missed that one. That's why I need a bailiff like you, pal. <laughs> Thanks, friend. I'm glad to be here to ruin your show. I need another set. I need another set of eyes on the pos or ears, as the case may be, on the possible puns that I'm missing. Los Gatos, California, and so you have kitted out, so to speak. <laughs> oh, sound of me self-murdering. You have kitted out the patio. So these cats can go outside at all times. Yes. That's it about is. right. It's a catio, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, catio? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I deserve that. <laughs> Please don't get catty with us. You guys, you obviously, <laughs> and would you say that, who is the architect of the catio? You, Martha, or Chase? Um, I'm the... The prime um, architect. I would... We worked on it together, but it was at my insistence. It's, right. Martha you is the architect. Have, I am the carpenter. You both have brain controlling toxoplasmosis then. Oh, mm -hmm. for sure. I think it's what's established, all right. But doesn't it work? Doesn't it work in the in women's favor? The symptoms. The the to the degree. So, for those of you who don't follow what we were talking about earlier and have never heard our show before, <laughs> very briefly, there is a there is a weird microorganism called toxoplasmosis that has a very strange life cycle. It wants to be inside cats. Once it is inside cats, it reproduces by uh, putting itself into the cat's feces, which then somehow uh, attract mice, which get it into the mouse, which make the mouse more reckless, which allow it to be caught by cats, and thus it gets back into the cat. And it can infect human brains, but with, with no effect that is scientifically proven upon the human brain, except with one major and meaningful exception, which is the development of the human fetus. That's why pregnant women... Uh, tell me that they're not allowed to change the cat box. <laughs> uh, and yet there are some people who do believe that there are some symptoms. There's some great proportion of humans who are infected with toxoplasmosis and there are some suggestions, but I don't think, I don't think the evidence is anything but anecdotal so far that for example, uh, it, it makes women more flirtatious and also more likely to uh, hoard cats. Oh, um, and then men, I don't know what it does for them other than maybe want to put cats on leashes. Isn't that right, Chase? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. I didn't want to do this until I got a cat. So it, it correlates. Yeah, right. You, you received some emanations from the universe saying, you know, it will be good. Let's take these incredibly prim, smug and beautiful animals and make them look dumb by putting them on a leash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is there any more reason for doing it than that? I mean, I appreciate I appreciate the desire to humiliate cats. It's something that I generally rule in favor of, but is there more to it than just that, Chase? Well, yeah. I, I think, one, it's it's a fun bonding thing for, for humans and their pets to just be together. Did you say outside. bonding or bondage? Uh, bonding. Uh -huh. Bondage would need two leashes. So, uh, uh -huh. But uh, I think 
it's kind of an enriching thing for them to get outside and get stimulated by seeing other things besides their their little fenced-in catio. Based on what evidence do you believe this will be enriching and, in fact, that they need further enrichment? Are they writing you letters? Well, maybe not that they need because they don't. They express their needs by meowing a lot and pointing at whatever they want. Is this that breed of cat that has human fingers? <laughs> <laughs> the human-fingered well, manx? They, they point with their little little faces, their little triangle faces. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, they, they seem to want to go outside and see things, and they've they've escaped on occasion, and and then gotten stuck on the fence trying to come back in. So it seems like it's it's in their alley for what they want to do. So I'm just trying to facilitate that without them having to break out of the enclosure. So they're they're mounting escape attempts as it is. Oh yes, yes. How many um, times have they escaped the catio? Oh, multiple times, at least six or seven that I can recall. Over what period of time? This is about, uh, we've been in this apartment for about a year, so it's been over a year. Would you describe your area as a dense urban area or a, or a suburb, a desert suburb, or what? Mountain suburb, how about that? Mountain suburb, all right. So we do have an expert witness here today because while I am a uh, cat behavior hobbyist, I am not a veterinarian or expert in this field, but I do know a veterinarian. Indeed, she was our veterinarian for our cat, Petey, who is no longer alive. I don't blame her for it. I think she's terrific. She's also the co-author of a book called Rabid, A Cultural History of the World's Most Diabolical Virus, and she's on the line with us now. Monica Murphy, can you hear me? Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Do you remember treating my cat, Petey? Of course I do. Yeah. He lived a long time thanks to your care. And then the time came for me to have him professionally poisoned. As it does to us all. That's right. Um, But thank you very much for your service. And you've heard, you've been listening along so far. Yes. And do, do you have any thoughts right off the bat before I start asking you questions and, and directing the conversation? Well, uh... Right off the bat, I'm hearing about the escape attempts of these two cats, whose names I don't think I've heard yet, by the way. No, Um, cats don't deserve names. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What are their, all right, all right, I'll I'll indulge this. What are your cats' names? Mako and Logan. Mako and Logan. And are they both, what what gender do they identify as? Mako's a little girl and Logan's a boy. Okay, and is Logan named after the Wolverine? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, I figured. And Mako. we lived in Logan Square in Chicago, so that's oh, okay. my side of it. Yeah. And and uh, and Mako is named for the shark. I'm a fan of sharks. You're a sharkologist. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Great. So there you go, Monica. I apologize. You've heard of Mako and Logan making escape attempts. Mako and Logan sound very fortunate indeed with their catio. Um, But I was sorry to hear about the escape attempts that have already occurred since, um, to me, the main downside of of any type of exposure to the outdoors is, uh, in terms of the kitty's health, is Mm -hmm. that they do seem more likely to make escape attempts with uh, increased access to the outdoors. And and it's those unsupervised times outdoors where cats are most likely to run into actual dangers to their health and well-being. And and the dangers out there in Los Gatos would include cars and maybe coyotes? I would expect there were some coyotes, maybe even cougars. Um, 
Martha? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the, that's why it's named Los Gatos is the, the mountain lions. And we have herd coyotes too. So the large wildlife, even medium-sized wildlife like raccoons can do real damage to cats and are common in suburban areas. And then the stray cats also. Um, while usually the damage a stray cat can do to your, you know, tender house kitty is, uh, is limited, you know, sort of below the threshold of like threatening it it can cause big problems abscesses infections um and you know in general we want to avoid those risks for our kitties the risks of attacks by other animals um along with risks of vehicles and uh, infectious diseases will shorten the calf's lifespan so that the cats who have access to the outdoors tend to live only about a third as long as the cats who are indoor exclusive even if, if it's a catio that has been oh no no, the catio seems to offer the ideal solution to uh, the cat's needs for outdoor type stimulation while, you know, still in the safe confines of the owner controlled space. It's the um, it's the unsupervised outdoor trips, which apparently the catio has uh, in, on some level given rise to by sort of wetting the appetite of these kitties. Now, here in New York City. I seem to recall being cautioned many times uh, by by vets and other pet professionals that we shouldn't let our cat the cats should live indoors their entire lives. Is that advice that you that you have heard given? Absolutely. It, and if we want our cats to live healthy and live long, there's there's really you know no no question they they should live indoors. And yet, isn't that not cruel to a cat to confine it to an indoor life? Does it not go against its its hunter territory marking nature? All animals need stimulation. Um, I do think that uh, New York pet owners especially seem to be very good at, at providing stimulation to the pets who are confined to often very tiny apartments. Sure. Um, I mean, I know a lot of pet owners who give their pets their own Netflix account. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, there's a lot of creativity sort of coming up in these small spaces that, uh, that we live in here in New York. What cat age would be appropriate for me to get my cat its own iPhone? I think here in Brooklyn, it's, you know, only around yeah. seven or eight, it's right? younger and younger, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, I, I interrupted you there for a pretty <laughs> lame joke, and I apologize, Dr. Murphy. You're going to say in Los Gatos? In Los Gatos, the, the, uh, the opportunities sound even better for stimulating your cat without exposing it to the, all the risks of being outdoors. That, that catio is something New Yorkers only dream about for the most part. Um, it sounds pretty great. And with the safety of a catio around your cat, a coyote um, becomes just another piece of uh, stimulation, right? And another uh, piece of enrichment rather than an actual risk to his health or well-being. So, Wait, you're talking about capturing a coyote and keeping it in a cage? Oh, no, I am not. your cat? <laughs> On the contrary. Our cats are in a cage. Oh, and I see. And the wildlife sort of drift by, you know, making our cats' lives exciting without actually endangering our cats in Los Gatos. Martha, do you give the cats access to the catio overnight? We have. I've been kind of advocating more and more to bring them in. They kind of fight us on that. We'll wake up in the morning to them trying to pry open the bedroom window. They're trying to pry open the the window? Yeah. Because a coyote got in there with them and it's trying to kill them? (laughs) 
Oh, no, I mean, they're from the inside. They're trying to get back out. Oh, they're trying to get back out. Yeah, yeah. They really want to be outside. Yeah, they spend most of their time out there. Why do they have access to a pry bar? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Chase just lets them get away with anything. It came with the cats. Do you dispute, Martha, the number of escape attempts that Chase has estimated at six or seven? No, but I think for each attempt we've made, we've fortified the cat. They... We're always, we try to be one step ahead of them, but then right. they make progress and they, they they dig a little hole and then we block it. And I think we've been getting better. We just recently, last week, um, had them rebuild part of the wall on the side of our our fence because they right. had actually been pushing open the, the, the wooden bars and using it like a doggy door. It's almost as if they are sentient creatures that don't wish to be enslaved. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's my other point on that. Every time they escape... They immediately are crying outside and scared, right. and they've been attacked by other cats outside immediately. They've gotten caught up on our neighbor's um, porch roof thing, crying, and we've had to go rescue them. So it's not, they usually don't have fun. Yeah, no, cats, cats want to get out every minute of the day until they're out there and they remember, oh, wait a minute, I forgot. I am a physical and emotional parasite that requires <laughs> these humans to survive. Right. Uh, Chase, I appreciate that you've established the danger of the catio. And here, I, I just noticed as I go through my docket here, entered into evidence is the, an image of the catio itself. Mm-hmm. And I see here a, a, a beautiful beast. This must be Logan. Yes. Yes. He looks like a cat that is the best at what he does, but what he does isn't very pretty. <laughs> Comic book reference. <laughs> lounging atop his carpeted cat tree in in the in the very beautifully trellised catio that is his domain and you can go to maximumfun.org to the judge john hodgman page and see this for yourself everyone uh, but i do see many many options for egress uh this is not a cat could climb out of this fairly easily if he or she wanted to so now that you've established the danger of the catio, how do you how do you suspect or how do you propose, Chase, that cat leash is going to solve the problem? Well, that's the thing. I don't actually know if it's going to solve the problem, but I'm willing to give it a try. What I'm hoping, and I'm not a cat behaviorologist, so maybe Monica can chime in and say I'm wrong, but uh, what I'm kind of hypothesizing is that maybe if we give them some other options besides either chewing their way out or climbing out and pushing aside the, uh, the chicken wire, then maybe they would, you know, just come to us and we could just take them out of like little jaunts and then bring them back in and they would be satisfied. That's the hope. Dr. Monica Murphy, what do you think about on a gut level about cats on leashes? Do people bring <laughs> them in to the veterinarian office? Do you have you much experience with people waltzing their cats in on a leash? Uh, Every once in a while, a cat will come into the office on a leash, but usually they haven't succeeded in walking the cat to the office. Walking a cat, when, when it even sort of functions as walking, um, you know, as opposed to dragging or, or just standing still with your cat in front of you on a leash, when the cats walk, <laughs> you follow the cat where the cat wants to go. Right. I've, I've never to date had the cat want to go to the veterinary office and arrive with the owner, you know, behind it in any sort of, you know, what you might describe as walking the way the dogs do. And don't you think it is embarrassing to the cat? (laughs) 
many of us have seen, like, have caught a cat on a leash somewhere out, you know, in our travels. We've seen someone at one of the moments when the cat is actually upright on his feet and, you know, submitting to the harness, the owner holding the leash, you know, and, and it looks amazing. I mean, it looks like that's so fun. That cat's out on a leash, but it's, it's best as sort of a still picture because the, the cat doesn't, the cat doesn't walk and, and yeah, it, it, it perhaps compromises the dignity of the cat, but, but maybe particularly the owner. It it compromises the dignity of the owner. Yes. Because they're perverting nature. (laughs) Indeed. Because they're aspiring to something that will never happen. Yeah. They're fooling themselves that this cat, which is a stealthy, silent and solitary predator, primarily nocturnal, is all of a sudden going to be trotting along. Right. Next next to its alpha, the thing it confuses for its pack leader, like a dum-dum, which is what a dog does. Right. It's a common fantasy, though. And um, there's this other kind of pet you can get that walks great on a leash. It's called an iguana. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure, Chase, that this entire thing isn't just a complicated scheme uh, to get your girlfriend to let you buy a parrot to carry everywhere on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> so it can tell me I'm right. Chase, what is your main motivation here? Is it to please yourself by mastering a cat and getting it to do something that it does not want to do? Is it to keep your cat safe by providing them extra stimulation? Or is it to just prove that you can do something that bothers Martha? <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. It's a little bit of all of the above, but uh-huh. mostly I think it's actually, uh, I, I kind of want one want to see what happens because I'm curious uh, about this. I don't have any um, fantasies that this, this cat is going to walk with me like a dog. I know that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to wind up following it around the courtyard, following it around the, the apartment complex. But really, it's just, I just want to see what happens. I want to see if, if this cat would actually be okay out on a leash. And by this cat, is there one particular cat that you feel is understimulated or, or you want to take them both out? So there's, there's the one little one that has bonded with me, and that's Mako. Yeah. So she seems to, to chew her way out more frequently than Logan, mostly because she's smaller and she can slip through smaller holes, I think. Chase, have you considered maybe um, putting them both on a leash at the same time and then seeing if they'll pull you in a chariot of your own design? <laughs> that seems like a nightmare <laughs> just waiting to happen. What if you kept them in like a Carmen Miranda style hat? Oh, a cat hat? Yeah. I mean, you could put some fruit in there too, but. Well, if there's anything cats love more than being on a leash, it's fresh fruit. <laughs> <laughs> you also want to take the cats to your office? Uh, No. No. I mean, you can dream about things, but I just don't think that that's possible. It says here Chase has repeatedly bought various harnesses and leashes and now is threatening to bring one of our cats to work and on errands. (laughs) Is that a lie? That's in Martha's Uh, affidavit. Is that a lie? He has threatened these things. It's it's something that I have threatened, but only <laughs> only in good fun. Uh, just because you know, when you're walking out the door, the cat runs up to you and looks at you with those big manipulative eyes, and they just say, you know, take me with you. But I just know that that can't be true. I can't take them to the store. I can't take them to work. They don't want that. They they don't want to go there. <laughs> Can I say something? You may, please. I, I think the taking the cats on the leash and him now saying, oh, I just want to do it in the courtyard. I think for him in his mind, if he can get me to say yes to the courtyard, it's like first courtyard, then 
the world, you know, like, cause he's talked about going on all adventures. He sends me links to articles like woman quits job and goes on round the world boat ride with her cat, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think once he gets the courtyard, the doors open. What is your job? Oh, um, I'm a software quality control engineer. So your job involves sitting at a desk at a computer or standing much. at a standing desk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you enjoy it? I do very much. Do you fantasize about quitting your job and going around the world with your cat? No, and I think actually that's the, the my main argument against doing all that is because that sounds like a lot of work. I, I really don't want to overburden myself with having to take this cat everywhere because it seems like just a really stressful hassle. Well, why are you sending these articles to Martha? Because they got cats in them. <laughs> I take it you guys don't have children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the... the the cats are our children. I'm glad, Chase, that you're sending Martha these articles because it can be very difficult to find articles about cats on the internet. I know. <laughs> I know. She would be totally lost without you. <laughs> she might not have found that one. Monica, what do you think about the safety, comparative safety of walking, bringing a cat into the courtyard or into the outside world on a harness to a place where it normally would never be mm -hmm. compared to say, a, a fairly well-secured catio. Have you treated any cats that have been injured while wearing a harness? I have not. I mm -hmm. have not. And, and both, both seem like safe options unless they, you know, sort of give the cat an opportunity to escape. Um, and that's something I think that Chase and Martha will have to suss out themselves. The catio... Um, sounds like it needs some shoring up. And I have seen pets and harnesses that don't fit well and, and create a risk for escape. What kind of harness would you recommend? One made specifically for cats. Right. Like not, not just a dog collar. Or one of those backpacks <laughs> that toddlers wear in airports. Yeah. None of those would be correct. Could you put a cat into a baby Bjorn? Would that be okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, not okay. <laughs> what about a cat in a stroller? Yeah, that's a good idea. They make strollers for cats. They do? Yes. In your experience, because I know whenever I had to take Petey mm -hmm. to the veterinarian, you or another one of your colleagues, mm -hmm. or anywhere, and I would put him into the equivalent of a stroller for cats, a cat box... Uh, the cat did not like it at all. Mm -hmm. To what degree is putting a harness or even putting your cat in its own self-specially designed cat stroller simply terrifying for the cat? I think that has to be judged on a cat-by-cat -cat basis. Cat-by-cat -cat basis. Yeah. Couldn't be more fair than that. <laughs> well, Dr. Monica Murphy, I know that you need to go, so I will allow you to escape our cat baby Bjorn and go on your way. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. This has been fun. And once again, uh, you, you are the co-author with your husband, Bill Wasik, of the book Rabid. And tell me about that book for one second. Rabid is a book that goes back to ancient times, looking at how rabies and animals um, and people have all sort of been in the mix together um, and, and the way rabies has affected our relationship with animals and, and sort of given rise to a lot of our best scary stories. And are you going to write a follow-up book on toxoplasmosis? <laughs> toxoplasmosis would be a natural follow-up to rabies, actually, but um, right now I'm interested in snakes. 
All right. I will leave it on that remarkable tease. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. And now I'm going to dig right back into the case. Thank you. So has anything that our expert witness said, Martha, changed your opinion about Chase's plan? Actually, no. <laughs> has it made you less concerned or are your concerns the same? I think my concerns are the same because I've, I've read up on it and I've just, I, I feel like it's unnecessary to bring that extra risk. Maybe if the cats didn't have the catio, I'd understand that they need some more stimulation, but I feel like they have plenty more than most indoor cats. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's an extra risk. And what are you specifically afraid of that Chase will be going on an adventure in the courtyard and a coyote is just going to run through there and grab that cat and move on? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, I'm, that would be horrible. Yes. Um, right. I mean, the other stray cats, I could, I could see them getting scared and running up a tree and then mm -hmm. we can't get them down. And we have, you know, redwoods in our courtyard. So that wouldn't be good. You have thousand year old, massive redwood trees. Yeah. There's the small transplant ones, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're redwoods, so yeah. So if your cat went right up that thing, it would have to live there forever. I know, right? Yeah, so. But that's the point of having the leash, right? That's why you hang on to the thing. Do you think Chase is a Butterfingers when it comes to hanging on to a cat harness? <laughs> it could happen. I could see the cats getting away from him. Mm -hmm. You also send along some evidence, Martha. It was an article in the New York Times by a woman who trained her cat to go out on a harness I think here in Brooklyn, I think in Prospect Park. And she was so trained, uh, or she consulted her own expert witness, whom I chose not to have on this program, because I didn't hear about him until a few minutes ago. <laughs> a animal planet personality <laughs> cat whisperer called Jackson Galaxy. <gasps> yeah, Jackson. <laughs> and we'll have a link uh, at MaximumFun.org on the Judge John Hodgman page to this video, uh, which recounts the author, Stephanie Clifford, trying to teach her cat to walk on a harness and being counseled by Jackson Galaxy. Suffice to say so far that Jackson Galaxy looks like the Guy Fieri of Cat Whisperers and says things like, I am very into the concept of the raw cat. <laughs> and, and Jackson Galaxy believes that cats really want to do get out there and explore, but it takes a long time, based on this video that I watched that you sent, Martha, it takes a long time to train cats uh, to feel comfortable on a harness and not just sit down in panic outside and freak out. Yeah. So I agree that if it were to happen, it, it would be many months of training. Do you think that Chase is capable of, of that sort of long disciplined training? Because Stephanie Clifford's cat, whose name I don't recall, but we'll just say that his name is Toxoplasmosi. <laughs> She recounted months of short training sessions with very careful, uh, positive rewards and treats and not pushing too hard before toxoplasmosis would go outside at all and feel comfortable even for just a few minutes. But do you think, Chase, that you are capable of engaging in that kind of disciplined training behavior? I believe if I make a hobby out of it, yes. So why do you want to make your hobby terrifying your cat? <laughs> Well, it's not that I want to want to terrify the cat. It's just that I want to give her the opportunity. It, it's just one one of those things. If it really seems super super terrifying and she's really really not into it, then I'll give up. It just sounds like Mako's the only one you're concerned about. You don't care about Logan at all. No, I really don't. No. 
<laughs> uh, I, I, I care about him. I love him, but he's not the one who follows me around and meows at me all day. Gotcha. So. That's terrible. <laughs> I agree. And I also feel like I've heard enough <laughs> in order to make my decision. So I'm going to, I'm going to climb to the top of this carpeted judge tree I have in my chambers and curl up for a little while and, uh, and give this some thought and then I will return with my decision in a moment. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Chase, how would you feel if you were outside walking down the beautiful wooded streets of Los Gatos, California, and you had a cat on a leash? How would I feel? Yeah, like let's say you saw a friend or a cool kid from school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm 14 again. All right, um, I, I would feel fine. I mean, it's uh, we we entrap these animals and you know put leashes on them. I don't really see the difference between cats and dogs that much. Martha, how would you feel if your live-in boyfriend, with whom your social status is deeply intertwined, oh dear, were walking down the streets of the small town in which you live with a cat on a leash and was known to all of the children of Los Gatos as the cat <laughs> leash guy? Yeah. Um... That, it's it's not my main concern, uh, more it's their safety, but yeah, it's Oh, there. I thought you meant that you just had other bigger concerns about Chase. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I was, it's not the, like, it's, it would be one of his many quirks. <laughs> it's up there with the toe shoes. Oh, jeez. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. No, no, no. You... I'm done. <laughs> throw, throw that evidence out, please. That was, uh... That was deeply prejudicial. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, Well, we'll see what Judge John Hodgman has to say about all of this when we come back in just a second. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org. And they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by 
Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. You may be seated. Now, of course, during my deliberations, I require absolute solitude, and that is why my chambers are completely soundproof. I hear nothing of what you discuss when I am outside of the courtroom, and certainly nothing that might prejudice me against one or the other litigants beyond what I've heard during the hearing itself. But I did have one point of curiosity that I feel I should have followed up with before, and I'm going to ask it now. Do either one of you, Martha or Chase, wear uh, sneakers with toes in them ever? <laughs> you mean like, do we have toes on our feet inside of our sneakers? Because I think that's, that's true for everyone, Judge. Excuse me. Martha, would you answer my question? <laughs> um, I do not wear shoes that have toes you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I do. Have you ever seen them? <laughs> All the time, yes. you know anyone who, who owns them and wears them? I do, sir. And who would that be? Um, that would be Chase. Oh, Chase, you wear toe shoes on your paws? Hmm. Yes, 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 I do. <laughs> what, hmm. do you get out, what do you get out of that? Comfort, Judge. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They're very, very comfortable. And you don't, you don't mind that you are embarrassing your beloved one every time you wear them? <laughs> Uh, not in the least. All right. no. <laughs> I know that there are people who love those things, but I think it speaks a little bit uh, as a uh, to motive uh, and to what degree you are willing to entertain um, loathsome eccentricity for your own comfort and amusement. <laughs> we toe shoes or walking through Los Gatos with a Gatos on a leash. <laughs> it makes me wonder whether this cat leash endeavor is not indeed the act of ownerly altruism that you make it out to be, and more an attention-getting personality affectation. You will say no, but I will forever wonder. Forever. And will it affect my judgment? You bet it will. (laughs) Because you know that those cats don't belong on those leashes or harnesses or whatever they are, you know, on a basic level. It is not a one-to-one correspondence, as you say, Chase. 
It is not, we put dogs on leashes, thus we put cats on leashes. You might as well put a goldfish on a leash. By that logic, <laughs> they're different creatures. A dog is a beautiful, dumb, dumb, loyal pack animal that mistakes you for its leader and wants to run with you, wants to range over terrain with its friend who keeps him safe in numbers and gives him dried up pig snouts as a snack. A cat doesn't like you. No matter how much Mako is meowing at you and pointing with her little nose, she's tricking you. I've read an article. I don't remember where. I'm not going to search it up now. That essentially pointed out what we all know and our gut is true. Cats are not loyal members of your pack. They are smug parasites who have tricked you into taking them in and giving what they want. And yes, it's transactional. They'll give you a little nuzzle. But they're going to just as soon tear your eyes out with their claws and eat your sweet eye meat if they had to. And I say that as a cat fancier. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't think cats would actually do that. I think that cats do bond with their humans in, in a way that is not merely parasitic. But it doesn't change the fact that behaviorally, it doesn't take a Jackson galaxy to remind you that cats are solitary hunters. And the fact is that the behavior that you are trying to engender in them uh, is uh, unnatural, uh, completely unnatural, because you think that you might be giving them the opportunity to explore and stimulate through hunting uh, behavior. But imagine if you were a solitary hunter and there was some huge ape following you around all the time, <laughs> talking on his phone. You'll be like, will you please get out of here? I'm trying to eviscerate a bird up in here. And what's more, I should point out that for all of Jackson Galaxy's advice on this video, and as assiduously as Ms. Clifford, the journalist, followed it after months of attempting to train the cat to walk around on the streets of New York, ultimately the effort failed. And the cat was simply too scared to do anything once it was not merely in an unfamiliar location surrounded by all sorts of extra stimulus that it didn't, had never seen before, but also it was tied up to something and could barely escape if it tried. The solution that Mr. Galaxy and Ms. Clifford attempted to present as a happy ending to this experiment is that she discovered that if she took her cat in a cat carrier to a relatively secluded part of the park and put the cat on a snug-fitting special cat harness, that she could get maybe a good 15, 20 minutes of outdoor time with the cat before a dog or jogger passed or a leaf fell and the cat was freaked out and wanted to go home. And that, I have to say, ended up being an okay solution for even me. Because the truth is, it is utterly unnatural to put a cat in a harness, but no more unnatural than to take a cat and imprison it in your home. When we keep animals as companions, we are naturally breaking the order of nature. And the truth is, it's just a measure of how far we are willing to push and pervert nature 
for our own pleasure and one hopes the pleasure and well-being of the animals that are in our care. I think you, it sounds to me like you have two pretty happy cats uh, who are going through their natural rebellious phase of trying to sneak out and get out. And I do believe them them getting out of that catio is not a good thing because it will end up uh, it will end up in tragedy, meowing tragedy eventually. And that uh, while the catio itself in theory is terrific, you need to really, really, really escape proof it if you want to have any peace of mind with regard to leaving the cats out there as much as possible. And nighttime, this isn't I'm not talking about chase for the moment here, but for both of you, nighttime. Sorry, those cats got to come in. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and we have a little outdoor space with a sliding door on the ground floor of this apartment building we live in, in a very urban, dense area. And I was playing Scrabble with my wife when the screen door was slid open by a raccoon, and the raccoon <laughs> walked into our living room, looked around, and walked out, and then... He poked his head back in and said in English, just so you know. <laughs> if those cats can get out, I bet you something can get in. So bring them in at night. But none of that has any bearing, ultimately, on Chase's desire to take Mako and travel the world with her as his new love. <laughs> and leave you and Logan behind. None of that has any bearing on his desire to take Mako outside on a leash or a harness. That will not solve the problem of their safety within the catio. That is a different issue that you have to resolve, and resolve it you shall. And the real question is whether he should be allowed to do this at all. And my, I have to say that while it was your evidence that led me to this Jackson Galaxy video, Martha, and as... Mm. Um, hilarious as I found Mr. Galaxy to be, and I maybe he's a listener to the podcast. I just, dude has an interesting facial hair array and a bunch of tattoos and wears a bandana over his head. And it was not what I was thinking of when I thought of a cat behaviorist, but good for him. He's living his dream. He did manage to get this cat and this owner to a happy medium where they could enjoy the, enjoy the outdoors together in a controlled environment with a very careful cat uh, harness and um, that worked for them. And I think that it is worth exploring. Since all of this is unnatural anyway, I think that just as the cats won't stop poking their head out of the catio until they learn that the outside is not someplace they want to be, and they will eventually, I suspect, so Chase cannot be contained by the, cat the mental catio that you are trying to keep him on. The dude <laughs> needs to put... Mako in a harness and walk around the courtyard. It just needs to happen. He needs to get this out of his system. Whether this is coming from a place of altruism for the cat, a desire to start a new life with this cat without you, or toxoplasmosis whispering to his very soul. I think that he needs to go through the experiment uh, and should perhaps consult the video and the article that went along with it and do his very best to bring that cat out into the courtyard and the courtyard only, and then observe whether Mako truly wants to be with him all the time, or is just a, an, an animal that goes by its own urgings that once it's outside of its comfort zone is going to freak out and scratch him. And also, 
I think that if he is going to do this, he deserves the full weight of public opinion, <laughs> which is to say that while he is following this poor cat, this poor terrified cat as it tries to hunt, Martha, you have to follow him and take <laughs> many, many photographs mm -hmm. and document this. Document this man walking a cat in your courtroom, wearing his toe shoes and saying, uh -huh. this is who I love. <laughs> and we'll put that on our website and on all of our social meds. And I don't think you can ask for greater justice than that. This is the sound of a gavel. <laughs> Judge Sean Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Chase, how do you feel about the case? I feel like I won. That's exactly what I was looking for. I want to at least try the experiment to see what the cat wants. You just want to do some experiments on your cats that you love? <laughs> <laughs> Exploratory cat surgery. Got it. Martha, how do you feel? <laughs> um, I... I respect his decision, but my anxiety level is very high already. But you're going to be there while he's doing this. I know. That's, I know. Well, maybe. You know I, what? This is good. This is, you're going to work through something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're, scared, if you're scared of it, maybe you need to do it. What happens if this goes too far? What if he wants to take the cat out of the courtyard well, you have, and go on these adventures? He's going to have to petition me. Okay. Okay, so so we only have an allowance for courtyard experimentation. Yeah, that, I'm sorry if that wasn't clear. That's exactly what I'm saying. All right, and and I I concede to that. That that makes sense. Let's be honest. One way or another, he's getting an iguana. <laughs> hey, I, been there. I'm done. No more iguanas for me. <laughs> Very wise you were to withhold that information, even when Jesse was prompting you with it. Until after the verdict had been laid down. Martha Chase, thank you for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Judge Hodgman, it's time for our brand new all grammar and language segment, which is called... 
Jesse and me talk good. Exactly. And I'm thrilled, Jesse, to report that me and you are joined by the Judge John Hodgman official lexographer and editorial staff member at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and frequent guest on the Judge John Hodgman show, Emily Brewster from Western Massachusetts. Hello, Emily. Hello. Now, did I get all of your qualifications correct or how, how, how badly have I gone wrong so far? Well, I'm technically a lexicographer. What did I say? Lexographer, I think. Ugh. It's okay. It's, it's not a common word. Judge Hodgman, a lexographer is someone who studies uh, early 90s lexuses as they appear in hip-hop uh, lyrics. Oh, well, that would be you then, Jesse. That's, yeah, I was referring exactly. to Jesse, Emily. Yeah. But we also have the great lexicographer, Emily Brewster, and that is someone who studies words and writes about them using words, right? I write dictionary definitions. And Emily... It's been a little while since you've been on the podcast, so just to remind, you are my friend and neighbor out in my part-time hometown region of Western Massachusetts. Uh, we uh, met uh, via our first rendezvous at the Rendezvous uh, Bar and Grill in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, right around the corner from where we're performing at the Shea. We perform at the Shea Theater this this fall at Judge John Hodgman Live Justice. We're coming out to Western Mass. Will you be there, Emily? I will be there. I'm very excited. Me too. Um, every, every time I say me now, I get nervous because uh, <laughs> Emily knows all about words. And in fact, um, my very favorite claim to fame of almost anyone I've ever met is Emily's in, this, in that she discovered a word that was not in the dictionary and put it in the dictionary. And that word was slash is a the letter and word a correct, Emily? Well, I put in a new sense of the word. That's right. The word itself had been in, in many sure. dictionaries for many, many years, but there was a missing sense of the word. And that missing sense was? Uh, the definition is used as a function word before a proper noun to distinguish a referent from a former, usual, or hypothetical condition, as in a triumphant Ms. Jones greeted her supporters. So the uh there tells you that she's not always triumphant, that this was a, there was a change of state that's fantastic. In her status. And, and a triumph for you. And let me just say now, though, a betrayed and furious Judge John Hodgman now faces his former friend, Emily Brewster. Now, this revolves around the big announcement that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary made over social meds over the Memorial Day weekend to say a hot dog is the dictionary definition of a sandwich or the dictionary definition of a sandwich should include a hot dog. I don't know how to put it, but you're, you understand what I'm saying, right, Emily? You said a yes, hot dog I is do. a sandwich. Yes, now, indeed, we did. And you talked about this already with summertime guest bailiff Monty Belmonte on his show, uh, Monty in the Morning on WRSI The River there in Northampton, Massachusetts. I have not listened to that segment. I, I'm Jesse Thorne. Yes. You're my only friend. That's true. Because Emily and the Merriam-Webster dictionary betrayed me and and went against settled law and then monty scooped this podcast and talked to emily before i did what a monster but i love you both and i'm willing to hear why you aside from personal vendetta which i think must be obvious what is the reasoning behind uh this subversion of judge john hodgman's settled law 
Well, I have to say that when I first considered whether a hot dog was a sandwich, my gut instinct was the same as yours, that a hot dog is not, in fact, a sandwich. But as I examined what a sandwich truly is... That's okay. Is, That's all we need. We got our quote. Great. Thank you I, very much. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Well, that, okay, good. Thanks, Emily. Shut your right. pie hole. Thank you. <laughs> Go, go ahead. But when I examined the evidence and looked at how the word sandwich is defined and looked also at early uses of the word hot dog, it became just completely clear to me that a hot dog does indeed qualify as a kind of sandwich. And let's look at the Merriam-Webster definition of, of sandwich, shall we? I mean, sure, this is what, sure. This is, I mean, look, you and I both agree that there is something... Uh, puzzling about this question that it at least causes pause among right-thinking people before they leap to what I consider to be an incorrect conclusion that a hot dog is a sandwich. So, but you're only going from, you're starting with the premises that are given to you and specifically working within the context of the Merriam-Webster dictionary. That is right. Now, Emily, did you, did you write this article listing 10 sandwiches? I did. <sighs> Boy. I didn't know it was going to be that bad. You single-handedly did this. Oh, boy. So in the article, you, you cite, obviously, the Merriam-Webster definition of sandwich, which I have found using the internet at merriam-webster.com. Was someone squatting on Mer merriam-webster.com? You had to put in that dash in there? Or hyphen? <laughs> would that be a hyphen or a dash? It would be a hyphen. It would be a hyphen. I'm wrong again. Two pieces of bread with something, such as meat, peanut butter, etc., between them. Obviously, that's not a hot dog. Two or more cookies, crackers, or slices of cake. Whoa, with something between them. I'd never heard of that. Well, you've heard of a sandwich cookie. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I got you. Yep. Like an Oreo. Yes. I mean, we, that's, a, uh, that's a brand name we have to use because it's, it's descriptive. So an Oreo is a sandwich. It, a sandwich cookie. Uh -huh. I don't uh -huh. think uh -huh. it really qualifies as uh -huh. a sandwich. Uh -huh. Well, according to your definition, it does. We have to conclude because a simple definition of sandwich, two or more cookies, crackers or slices of cake with something between them. Yes. And sometimes things are, the word sandwich is used to refer to such items. And that is why that definition is there. Right. Okay. So full definition of sandwich. This is the operable one. Two or more slices of bread or a split roll having a filling in between or one slice of bread covered with food. That would be an open faced sandwich. Correct. So Emily, do you understand why I came to the conclusion in my Judge John Hodgman columnette in the New York Times Magazine and here on this podcast as to why a hot dog is a singular foodstuff deserving of its own sweet, generous definition outside of the bounds of sandwich? I believe that your reasoning has to do with whether a hot dog can be appropriately and kind of in a, in a standard sense cut in half and, right. and be eaten that way. That, that's basically, that was to me the test. And it was essentially, A, it's plain on its face that the, the hot dog, which is a hot dog, whether or not it's in bread, and you acknowledge this, that the hot dog uh, it has a culinarily distinct history from the sandwich as derived from the Earl of Sandwich, that inveterate gambler and hand eater, eater with hands. And that two that there is something strange about a hot dog that makes everyone wonder what it is. Now, if you decide that a hot dog is a sandwich, then you can essentially say, what, what does it share with the concept of sandwichness and what does it not share? And the thing that it does not share to me is that anything that we call a sandwich 
may be reasonably cut in half and shared. That is part of an essential sandwichness. And a hot dog, if you cut it in half, you look like a weirdo. That's what it comes down to for me. Well, I, I do see that point. I do not see it as an essential quality of a sandwich. I see it as a feature of many sandwiches, but not as an essential characteristic. I think of also a hot dog and a sloppy joe as also being kinds of sandwiches, and you, you certainly cannot cut a sloppy joe in half. Yeah, I don't, just, you know, but I, I, by my own logic, I would have to say that a sloppy joe and uh, is not a sandwich. You can't cut a sloppy joe in half? I think you could. Yeah, you but totally really... can. I've cut many sloppy joes in half. We make them on toast. And how did that go? Well, I mean, it's sloppy. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to change your name to Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I had already I had already changed my name to Joe to chew my favorite uh, brand of bubblegum bazooka. So it was not a problem. But you had to have known, Emily, that, and maybe this is part of your design, your weird design, that this was going to get a lot of attention and rile up a lot of people, including your friend. I didn't realize that it was going to be such a provocative piece. Really? No. <sighs> this has been a big part of my life for a while, but set aside my reaction to it. Have you been getting a lot of response? Uh, I believe that we have been getting a lot of responses. I've, I've honestly, I've been staying kind of out, outside of it. Um, just going back to, to writing my, my usual definitions and keeping my nose in my books and in the evidence that I see. Emily, hold on. What other major cultural matters of contention have you weighed in on in the dictionary and then claimed you didn't know were controversial? Like, is there, does Miriam Webster have a position on Yankees versus Red Sox, for example, <laughs> that we should know about? Well, uh, we, we are in Western Massachusetts, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> when, you, when you look up Han shot first in the dictionary, <laughs> do you see a picture of Greedo shooting first <laughs> just to confuse people? I don't even know what that means. I know. I know. I feel so bad for even saying that. I Good apologize. for you, Emily. Good for you. You know what? I, you know, if you the fact that you looked at the evidence that you had before you in your own dictionary, which is which is our dictionary of reference here on the Judge John Hodgman podcast and came to your own conclusion, put it out there and then walked away. I really admire you just walking away from that explosion in slow motion without looking back. Yeah, just dropped a full on truth bomb. Just pow. Pow. And what, and what did you talk about with Monty? Did you guys just have a long laugh at my expense? No, certainly not. He's on your side. He's completely on your side. No. But I have to say that I, I, uh, I actually came into the office today and did a little bit more research and looked at the historical evidence in our files and became even more certain of the oh. position that I had taken. And that, that evidence is, uh, is in the form of a number of examples from 1901 into the 1950s of the phrase hot dog sandwich being used. You and Dan Pashman of the Sporkful Podcast should go to Rut's Hut together and laugh at my expense. I've heard that before. Oh, I'm just going to have to... I know, that you're, I know that you're dedicated to your work and I know that you do your work good which is the way I say you do it well. So I'm just going to say you live in a law-free zone up there where you can make your own rules, I guess. But I still appreciate you coming in and explaining this to me. Well, and I appreciate your passion and I respect your passion for the distinction between a hot dog and a sandwich. 
And that is the distinction that you you are perfectly welcome to continue to make. Thank you. Emily, I respect your dispassion. <laughs> Why, thank you. It truly is the, the stupidest and meaningless thing to fight about in the world. And so I often get embarrassed when I start talking about it. But as you are the lexicographer of note, and I trust you will be coming back to talk to us more about words and grammar in future. That's my brief for future. Uh, and as Merriam-Webster is so great, uh, I will now just dedicate my life to giving you the logical and historical evidence that might make you reconsider. Someday, perhaps, we'll see eye to eye on this. By the way, is a taco a sandwich? No, a taco is not a sandwich. Oh, really? Because the Merriam-Webster definition of a taco is a Mexican food that consists of folded and usually fried piece of thin bread called a tortilla that is filled with meat, cheese, lettuce, etc. Seems to be uh, more or less identical to your, to your split roll theory of sandwich. Judge Hodgman, are you building toward a world in which tacos and tortas are the exact same thing? I'm just saying that if you're going to call a hot dog a sandwich, you also have to define taco as sandwich. Don't you agree, Emily? I do not agree. I do not agree because it doesn't have the two or more slices of bread or the split roll. There's, there's usually two tortillas in a taco. Really? Yeah, they're just stacked on top of each other with the, with the meat on top of the two tortillas. The, uh, Jesse's from San Francisco. We, we, we don't we, make tacos that way out here. <laughs> yeah, we, we're from Massachusetts where a taco is simply an old El Paso 500-year-old corn shell Got it. filled with weird meat. <laughs> That's right, evocative of cardboard more than anything else. But I, I'm telling you, Emily, take a look at your definition of taco and tell me, maybe not this time, but maybe next time, tell me how it differentiates meaningfully from your definition of sandwich, because you say taco, a food that consists of a folded and usually fried piece of thin bread. Bread, folded. How is that different from split? It's food wrapped in bread, according to you. Yes, that definition is taken from our learner's dictionary, which is for non-native English speakers. If you go to the full definition underneath oh. that definition, you will see something that is more uh, appropriate for native speakers of English. Well, we can take this up next time you're on the show, Emily. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I can tell you're taking great pleasure in my, <laughs> in my distress Thank None. you, Emily. None. <laughs> L looking forward to talking to you and seeing you soon at the Shea Theater this fall at the Judge John Hodgman Live Justice Performance in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. See all those dates, of course, at johnhodgman.com slash tour or on the MaximumFun.org live events page. Ah! Oh! Ah! Come on! What, what's, ah. Wrong, what's wrong, Judge Hodgman? Oh! Jesse, I'm trying... I'm trying to catch this uh, point of red laser light that's moving around my floor. Ah, I can't seem to get it. <laughs> You've really grown reckless lately, Judge Hodgman. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on why that might be. Ah, ah, ah. Well, what, what happened? What are we talking about now? Oh, we were talking about how we're going on tour and everyone should uh, get their tickets and come see. Can I just say how much I enjoy the way you pronounce the word tour? Really? Do I pronounce it in an, in an unusual way? Just, it, just, it just sounds good. It's elegant. It's radiolicious. Oh, tour. thank you. But it's true. We are going on tour, Jesse Thorne and I, plus lots of special surprise guests and live litigants from each of the places we're going to. Places like Portland, Maine, Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts. That's two places. And that's coast to coast of Massachusetts. Brooklyn, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. 
we are going to be dispensing live justice live on stage, meeting and greeting afterward. If you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, wouldn't it be fun to see what the weirdos behind it look like? And besides that, we're coming to the United Kingdom. A place where we more plausibly fit in. (laughs) Somewhat more plausibly. Uh, We're going to be at the London Podcast Festival with Judge John Hodgman, uh, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, my interview show, and of course, our comedy game show, International Waters. You can find information for all of our dates, including how to buy your tickets at MaximumFun.org or JohnHodgman.com slash tour. And... If you live in one of those places and you have a case, submit it to us. Go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO and tell us about it. No case too big or small. And do let us know if you live in one of those places because we are always looking for exciting cases in the places that we visit. This week's case was named by Kimberly Mayhall. Our thanks to Kimberly. Thanks, Kimberly. If you want to name a future case, follow us on social media at Hodgman. At Jesse Thorne on Twitter, like Judge John Hodgman on Facebook, and join the MaximumFun.org Facebook group. There's always fun talk about every week's Judge John Hodgman in the Maximum Fun subreddit at MaximumFun.reddit.com. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Court is out session. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.